see if I can get my uh, electronics going here. Okay. Uh, it's great being here. Um, I've been in the audience for like off and on for a couple of years. And it's good to be up front. Now, I've been up front once or twice, maybe three times, except, accepting <laughs> gracious gifts on behalf of Prince of Peace Home for Girls in Guatemala from Ironman. We did socks, we did shoes, we did fundraising. But it's kind of a different environment for me to be on the, behind the podium and talking about Ecclesiastes. But I think you'll find that in, in, within the book itself, there's, there's wonderful wisdom on it. In it. And um, one, di one disclaimer, I I'm normally a walker around. Um, when I talk about energy policy or gas turbines or some of the stuff I did for 40 plus years, um, I'm very comfortable without notes. But as I practiced this week, I forgot way too much stuff. Because this is, uh, you've got version 1.0, you're brand, this is a brand new, brand new gig. So uh, I'm going to use my notes way more than I usually do. Uh, it's not that you aren't good looking or I don't want to walk around, but it's, I'll miss stuff otherwise. So exciting to be here. Um, this morning I've broken our time down into three segments in the review of Ecclesiastes 3, the application itself. Uh, a, an application for men in their kind of mid-career, mid-life. And then finally, for some of us older guys that are in retirement, or thinking about retirement, or as I would put it, rewirement. So, um, Scotty, our speaker last month, gave us a little history on Ecclesiastes. But if you weren't here, we have some new guys here, uh, or maybe just don't remember it. <laughs> Here's a quick summary that can help us frame our discussion today. Scholars believe it was written by Solomon late in his life when he had asked God in the beginning of his reign for wisdom, and God gave that to him. But then as he got into life, uh, all of the immense wealth and hundreds of wives, it's rumored to have, any of that, that all kind of it crowded out his, what he saw as his purpose in life. And the book in general shows there are many paths in life, uh, especially when you have a kind of a horizontal and not a vertical focus. And, and those paths lead to emptiness, or what he calls meaninglessness. Yet laced into the fabric of the book, he helps us understand that God, all about God, and what he can do to make our lives meaningful. So, Solomon teaches us that we will not find meaning in knowledge, money, pleasures, or even work if it's not part of God's plan. And as we learned last month, and was reinforced by Rick and Connections, um, Solomon concluded that pleasure is meaningless, Building great projects is meaningless. Wisdom and folly are meaningless. And material work is meaningless, since all you really do is leave it for somebody else that didn't work for it. So as we get into chapter 3, scholars and a comprehensive pair of messages that David sent me on Ecclesiastes um, basically break the, this chapter into two segments, verses 1 through 15 and verses 16 through 22. So we're going to do that roughly as well. Uh, and I have, uh, actually, my wife put together a, uh, a little handout with the old, uh, with Ecclesiastes on the front and some New Testament stuff on the back. But thanks to the 1965 band, uh, The Birds, and the song Turn, 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 the first verses are well known to most of us guys that have gray hair or not too much hair. So let's read them together. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, 
a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. The principle here in verses 1 through 10 is God controls everything. Associated with our body, our soul, and our spirit at all seasons of our life. And he is involved in what we perceive as the good, our blessings, family, church, material things, iron men of God. But also, he is responsible for the hard things in our life. We always think of, we kind of want to uh, appreciate God for the good stuff. But when you, have, when you see something like 9-11 or the death of a, a precious little child uh, of cancer, which, which just experienced the Prince of Peace, it's really, it's really hard, but I, all, I believe it's all part of God's plan. An example of something similar in my life that maybe helps us understand why pain happens is we recently got a, a, a really cute little scruffy rescue dog. Uh, he's Michael Haas's best buddy. And when we first got him, as Mike will attest to, he was a crazy dog. He would run around, was, was always looking at, on the walks. It was not pleasant for anybody. He was looking at the birds and the bees and the lizards and not paying attention. So we got him something called an e-collar, a little electronic device goes on his neck and gives him a little vibration when he's not paying attention or a little pain if he's really not paying attention. And, and sometimes he needs this pain to help him focus on his master stressing less about the world and staying out of danger. Similarly, I think God allows some of our sufferings to, rem to remember to trust him. And sometimes a little pain really needs to remind us about not depending, not focusing on the world. Often in the middle of that suffering, it's hard to see his plan. And sometimes we in this life won't even understand it. But I always thought of God's plan, something like an orchestra for us older guys that went to an orchestra. And if, when you first get there, an instrument usually helps everybody else tune. It's often a violin. But the first 30 seconds, it sounds terrible. I mean, if you think about it. But then the conductor sets everything in motion, and it becomes beautiful. In the commentary that David sent us, something similar, maybe even a better example, is that of a loom, uh, spinning a tapestry. If you're a human, you're a normal guy, and you're looking from underneath the loom, and all you see is these different colored threads, different shapes, different lengths. It looks like chaos. But when you get above the loom, you can see the beautiful tapestry of God's sovereign will. Probably the best example I can think of uh, biblically is the death of Jesus. Can you imagine you were standing at the foot of the cross and you saw our Savior tortured and killed? You could not begin to think of the awesome beauty of God's plan that was involved in that. So you have to take the good and the bad and just trust that it's part of God's plan. Yet Solomon points out, starting in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time, and we need to accept his timing. So verses 11 to 15. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live that each may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, 
nothing taken from it. God does it so people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. Some principles here that not only is God in total control, but he puts eternity in our hearts, so that we will wonder what he has planned for us, and we will not be satisfied with worldly possessions and worldly, and worldly gifts. Life will remain an enigma and a frustration until men come to trust God, who has made us and acknowledge he has the right plan for us. And just as man cannot on his own determine one end of life from the other, we cannot add or take anything away from God's plan. And man is unique as far as we know. We're the only worshiping animal, and what makes us different cannot be explained by evolution. We are different because we seek to spend eternity with our Savior and our Creator. C.S. Lewis said, Our Heavenly Father has provided many delightful ends along our journey, it takes great care to see that we do not mistake any for our home. And I believe that this longing for our eternal home is a deep desire in our soul that has been placed there by God as part of his plan for us. Yet we also have the benefit of overlaying Jesus' promises and God's tapestry of our lives so we do know what's in our future. Uh, our key here is that Solomon comes into there's nothing better for man than to be happy and do good while they live and find satisfaction or toil, but more on this later. So let's continue with verses 16 through 21. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And I said to myself, God will bring judgment to both the righteous and the wicked. And there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. And I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so they may see that they're like animals. Surely as fate of human beings is that like of animals, the same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantages over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust. All to dust return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, or if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. Solomon here is struggling with the wickedness of the world just like we are today. Yet he acknowledges that God will be judged and he will deal with injustice in his way in his time. He also points out that besides being evil and sinful, man is much like the animals of the world without self-control. And the purpose of this acknowledgement is that we should be fearful of our instincts and depend on God, his guidance, and his grace for our lives. We need God to help control the darkness that's inherent in our hearts. So what does Solomon conclude in verse 22? I saw there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Again, God wants us to experience joy as part of his plan for us. He wants to handle us to handle life in a way that we rejoice in every circumstance recognizing that everything comes from our wise Father. Though circumstances may bring us pain or pleasure, it's his choice for us and part of his plan. So, how do we overlay Solomon's conclusion to God's tapestry and weave that around Jesus and see work through New Testament eyes? There are dozens of references of how God wants us to partner with him on earth. Uh, one of my favorites is Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10, which is on the back side of your, of your handout. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Sounds good. I like it. I try to obey it. 
But then Matthew also shares a harder truth in chapter 25, the last parable of his gospel titled The Sheep and the Goats. In the interest of time, I'm not going to read the whole section, but the punchline is this. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And the harder truth, conversely, is that what you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. You will note this is much as the same message as Solomon wrote about in chapter seven, in verse 17, which we just read. So, what season are you in? Are you in spring where you're just starting to grow up? Are you in the summer where you're growing stronger and stretching for the sun? Are you in the fall like I am when we are supposed to be yielding fruit? I would argue that we have an epidemic in America that Solomon wrote about 3,000 years ago. It is the meaninglessness of a whole season of a man's life if he isn't careful and yields to the empty pleasures of the world in what is called traditional retirement. For many men, it's a bit like a chocolate money you might get for Easter for your kids or if you think way back when. I remember the first little Easter bunny I got, it was, it was this pretty good sized little Easter bunny and I bit into the ear and it was hollow. There was air in there. I don't know my mom and dad couldn't afford a solid one, but anyway, I, I was shocked that it was solid. I wasn't solid, and when I ate the outside, it was all gone. And I think retirement can be that way if you're not careful. So as we process Solomon's instructions to always do good, always enjoy your work, let's expand our study to discuss the biblical view of retirement. Well, actually, there isn't one. <laughs> Where in the Bible do you say, do you see when you turn 65 or 55 or 60, whatever day you want to put in there, you can coast, seek pleasure, no longer love and serve. Do you remember reading about Abraham retiring? Moses, Peter, Paul, John? I don't think so. In fact, there's only one direct re reference to retirement. I found that in Numbers in chapter 8. And here it is talking about the rules for the Levites in the tent of the meetings where it says the Levites work there until they're 50, okay, and then they help the younger men do their work. Just so you don't get the wrong impression, the mean lifespan of men back in there was 52. So, Ralph Winter, who's the founder of the U.S. Center of World Missions, he spent his later life in years, years in life, well into his 80s, traveling and speaking and writing for the cause of Jesus in the world missions. And he wrote in an article titled, The Retirement Booby Trap. Men don't die of old age, they die of retirement. I read somewhere about half the men are retiring in the state of New York die within two years, save your life and you'll lose it. Just like other drugs, other addictions, retirement is a disease and not a blessing. Scary. Forbes magazine also shared the same risk of retirement, especially one without purpose, when they reported that greater than 40% of retired men suffer from clinical depression with a disproportionately high percentage of suicides. Not a good thing. What a strange reward for a Christian to set his sights on, living out our final season in insignificance while living in a world where millions of people need to know about Christ and see his love in action. God isn't honored, earth isn't served, when the wisest, most experienced, most flexible, richest men in the world are sitting on the sidelines. So let me share with, it, share with you a cure for this epidemic. It's called rewirement. I don't know, David, where you thought that title up or you read about it, but anyway, it's not my phrase, but one David introduced to me, but being an electrical guy for 40 plus years is more than apropos. 
So after retiring from 40 years in, uh, at Westinghouse, which became Siemens, I took 60 days off, and now I'm working to balance my time between ministry, consulting, and family, friends, and fun. It's a story that is just taking shape, but even though it's only been eight months, I do have some lessons I'd like to share with you. If you are in this season of your life, or if you're still years away, some things to think about. A book that helped frame some of these, what I call summer activities with a little more structure is a book called Halftime by Bob Buford. Anybody read Halftime? If you have not, I suggest you do. It's a great read. And Bob was a very successful businessman by normal um, evaluations. He was very wealthy and had created some great businesses. But rather than um, trying buying a sports car to rejuvenate himself, he started to think about the transition from success to significance. And just like we talked about in Ecclesiastes, he asked himself, why capitulate to meaninglessness after we spent decades accumulating wisdom and resources? His counsel is that mid-career or even early in our career, we develop a kind of a parallel path career that uses our strengths, our knowledge, our experience, and our money to serve the deep personal commitment to advance the kingdom of God. And I've been challenged by Bob Buford to be what I call a 100x man, referencing Matthew 13. And this is a parable about what happens when seeds fall on good soil. They produce a crop of 30 or 60 or 100 times what was sown. And I want to multiply all that God has given me, not only to give back, but help him with his mission of loving people, writing injustice, and taking care of widows and orphans. This is our responsibility and that of our churches, since we all know that our government other governments are not capable of doing this well. And remember, especially in other countries like Guatemala or in Africa or these places people are looking at, at serving, um, remember the reference to the least of these we already discussed. So about 15 years ago or so, I started viewing my secular job as my mission field. I signed up as a mentor, I sponsored resource groups, I spoke to groups about balancing your life, and probably the best example of this kind of stretching a little bit was something I call Breakfast with the Boss. And uh, we had annual sales and marketing conferences um, for my group. And I started um, inviting um, my group, an optional breakfast, since it was kind of a, a Siemens function, to come talk, to have breakfast, and I would talk about things that were heavy on my heart, about um, ethics and morals, what I call living away from the edge, um, balancing your life, kind of balancing work careers, and, and the jobs and the demands from corporation world. And um, living to give about the value of generosity. And, and it first started out with 15 or 20 people showing up, and then 30, and then 40, and by the time I ended up doing it the last time, we had standing room only, ran out of breakfast. <laughs> and, and, but I created such good relationships at, in, within the context of my work environment. I had many, many men and women up and talk to me about things that were important in their life. So your workplace can be your mission field as well. A second piece of my parallel life is Prince of Peace Home for Girls in Guatemala. And um, I was brought into the story uh, not by seeing some deep revelation, but actually by my daughter and my wife who went there multiple times before I tried to figure out what they were up to. But this has been an awesome stretch for me to serve God with some of my leadership skills, team building skills, and to be obedient to the instructions of uh, James 1.27 to look after widows and orphans. And, and I must admit that, that the Hill family also helped us with this endeavor because I was kind of running out of gas. And when I introduced Prince of Peace to David and Carolyn Hill, 
they came alongside of me and kind of rejuvenated my energy for Prince of Peace. So uh, a key here is just keep up with your network, seeing what they're doing in life. And I also learned that you don't need to make drastic changes in your second season of life. God didn't give me or you, didn't, didn't make a mistake giving you all the skills and experiences you have. I think he creates opportunities where we can use those skills for the betterment of the kingdom. Peter Drucker, who was a, an influential author for the book of Halftime and is acknowledged as one of the top business management thinkers of all time, he had a strong opinion about men's purposes and throughout all the seasons of his life. And his key question to frame his life and those of the people he talked to were, what are my values, my aspirations, my directions, and what do I have to learn from? And how do I have to change and ensure myself of capable of living up to my demands? And here are some conclusions from both the book Halftime, some of his materials, and some of my personal experiences. To have a successful halftime in the second season of your life, you need to, one, make peace with the issues you had in the first half of your life. Give yourself some grace, and we, we, none of us did it right the first time, but give yourself some grace that you did the best you could given your knowledge and experience. Two, take time. The second half, your summer or fall of your life, is my analogy, should not be as a noisy as a place as your first half. So take time for the important things in life. Use half time to regroup. And it reminds me of a story when at Connections, one of the men was talking about the importance of hanging out with his kids and teaching, I think it was a little league soccer game, and pouring into those kids. That's super critical. And I remember also about 15 years ago, I was a business guy in sales, and I'd get up first thing in the morning, early, jump on my phone, jump on email, voicemails, whatever. And then I would go off to work. And one day my wise wife, Pam, sat me down, had a heart to heart, said, Greg Snyder, never a good thing when your wife uses your full name. She said, Greg Snyder, we need you there in the morning. I understand your business environment. I had most, multiple parts, time zones in the United States, and my afternoons and evenings were crazy. But we need you there in the morning. So take time to be a husband and a father in the morning. Good wake-up call for me. I started cooking. I was, ended up being the short order cook in the family and walked uh, Victoria with Pam over to the bus stop. Wisdom from a wise woman. Okay. Um, Halftime also extends out over several months, but it won't happen if you don't give it time. You've probably spent decades developing skills and chartering your life, so don't jump into something without prayer seeking the wisdom of others, and asking through some key questions, which I did. Like, what do I believe in and what am I doing about it? What in my life is missing that's important? What do I want to be doing in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now? What gifts has God given me that have been perfected over time? What realistic changes can I make to my job in my life now to fulfill God's calling? Would I take a less stressful job to come closer to my true self? And a connection that I learned that multiple men here are considering different jobs so that they can be closer to their family and, and obey God's calling in their life. And what steps do I need to take tomorrow to set myself up for a successful second half? Step three, you need to share the journey. We need to be interdependent and not independent in our journey. I started with my wife as of 37 years of marriage the other day, and actually Wednesday. And if your marriage is truly a partnership, it would be wrong to start a new or revised lifestyle without her counsel. 
Beware of isolation. It's an easy trap to fall in, and it's very dangerous. Two things to think about when you're, when you're talking about halftime and rewirement or retirement or whatever, and that is seismic testing and fire teams. Seismic testing is a concept that was put out in halftime, and it is approaching wise men, what men that you trust, and ask for their counsel about what is happening in their life at halftime or later in their life. How are they impacting the kingdom? And there are multiple men in this room that I have used for helping me with my seismic testing. And the second is establishing a fire team. For you military guys, first responders, a fire team is a group, core group of three or four guys that you can depend on through good and bad. can keep you accountable to what your objectives are and what God's objectives are, but you help them through life and they help you through life. Step four, be honest. I'm a big fan of thinking big, starting small, and scaling quickly. But that being said, you need to be realistic about your strengths and weaknesses. Step five, have faith. As we learn in Ecclesiastes, God has this, but you need to ask him. And you have to be ready for the critical question, what will I do about what I believe? Halftime and rewirement are perfect opportunities to seek God's wisdom. And again, the shift from success to significance does not need to be a 180 degree shift. It can be more like retrofitting and massaging your skills and gifts for application in the economy of the kingdom. Fast forward a decade or two for many of you, the same truths that I talked about for the summer of your life pertains to the fall of your life. My generation, our generation, is more educated and wealthier and healthier than any other generation before, and we need to do something about it. The great hope inherent in my retirement is for new directions, new adventures, and new challenges. I think retirement is much like graduation, maybe from high school or college, where you kind of thought something was over when you graduated. It was actually the beginning of something much, much bigger. And I believe that with my heart. But retirement can be a dream or a disaster. It can be looked as a battle between forces of light, such as love, service, generosity, or forces of darkness, like fear, isolation, greed, selfishness. We have new freedom, free, free from many of our past obligations and insecurities that we need to focus on the light. As you learn Ecclesiastes, God is purposeful. He allows retirement to exist, thus it must have a purpose. Uh, and since we are still employed by the Father, we haven't given up on that, our overall purpose of life is to expand our capacity for living and loving. So as I transition from my parallel worlds of work, 40, 50, 60 hours a week with a little bit of ministry tied, tied in there. Uh, to rebalance and rewirement, I started the process by act, asking some basic questions and talking to my seismic team and my fire team about these key questions. Where can I make the biggest impact in the kingdom? What do I need to prune from my life to be successful? How do I stay connected to those God has already put in my path? How do I ensure Pam stays connected to our mission? What people can I mentor to help into a relationship with Christ? In addition to my home church, Friends Church, what other churches can I help? How can I help my family? Who can guide me through this next step in my life? What can I do to improve my health and Pam's health? And where can we use our wealth to make the biggest difference in the kingdom, remembering that amassing wealth is one of the world's, the worst species of idolatry? So, as I get into rewirement, all eight months of it, I think it's important to, one, let go. 
the degree to which you are psychologically able to let go of your past job as your primary source of identity and take on new activities will impact your successful transition. Our culture tells us that the purpose of life is secular work. Everything you read, everyone you talk to, talks about what do you do for a living? Not what ministries are you in, not about what your family is, what do you do for a living? Yet as Christians, we are called to constantly renew ourselves, but not in simply transforming that energy, that work energy, into other non-service activities. All good, but we should not take that energy and put it into fishing and golfing or gathering seashells full time. That is not what God wants us to do. And our inability to disengage from our formal life and take on a new one places us at risk in living a submissive, lackluster life unconnected to the power of God. We also need to reframe our lives. Many men associate retirement with personal loss and not gain, aging and not youthful, aging, not renewed youthfulness, death, not new, new opportunities. Yet we're always, as we always tell our grown Victoria Victoria, attitude is everything. First, um, I, but fortunately I had a pair of men that helped I admire as my models. One was my dad. Um, after working full time into his late 70s, he's been rewiring for decades, helping my little brother run the business. And even after leaving that, he pours that energy into his church. To this day, he's turning 93 in the near future. And he still leads the finance committee, leads a Bible study, and with my mom, only 89. Cooks and serves at a shelter for battered women and children. And he also ministers to the sick and lonely. So that is one of my models. Similarly, another hero of mine is a gentleman by the name of Paul Sanders, who I met on my story and my adventure at Prince of Peace in Guatemala. After a normal career of, of running a children's home in Kentucky, he somehow ended up at Prince of Peace and saw that then his skills were needed there. So he and his wife, they did not speak Spanish, they did not know anything about running a girl's home in Guatemala, moved to Guatemala and served for almost a decade. And trust me, that was not an easy transition. Both of these men showed me what laying up your treasures in heaven rather than earth really means. Again, we need to reframe our lives with purpose, not listening to the world that tells us the reward for working hard is full-time leisure. I know a number of people that need to retire from retirement. We need to grow healthy, not just health, but relational, mental, and spiritual health. In my experience, my mental health and my spiritual health are interdependent, and I feel most at peace when I remember a few things, key things, and you've heard this at Ironman various speakers over the years. I need to remember whose I am. I need to stay mindful of God's presence, God's presence in my everyday life. I need to see reflections in God's love everywhere and with people I deal with. I need to have faith that God has a plan for me and that will, fulfill, that will fulfill my goals with him, provide joy, and I have to expect a few bumps. I need to be confident in the promises of God, and I need to be aware and express thank thankfulness, acceptance, and forgiveness every day. It's very important, and David's helping me and Michael, Justin, in managing my wealth. We need to live a lifestyle that allows you to be generous when God puts things in front of you. Fortunately, I was raised this way growing up. We saved a lot, we helped people that needed help. And I started this very early in my career. Uh, my first boss handed me a thing that signed here. You're saving 10% starting today. And that has grown to be a nice and ass uh, amount of money that I can now pour into the kingdom. 
And something that you need to remember that it's God's anyway, so you might as well focus on his mission from you and remember if, God, if I had it, God gave it to me. And something I just learned that I need to share with you is that I, I always was a little nervous about telling people what we are doing in the kingdom, but I, I don't think it's an ego thing. I think it's, I'm trying to help people understand that generosity is a real, it's a great thing for transforming your heart. And how we spend our money is indicative of where our heart is with God. And finally, you need to understand your purpose. Retirement, rewirement gives you the form in which you can search for meaning that is consistent with your faith and can develop a lifestyle you only dreamed of when you were running through the first half of your life that was so busy. And if you have a large family and you can pour into their, their lives, that is a great place to start. Christ gives each one of us a goal, a purpose, and desires to serve him that are uniquely ours. When we use the gifts to partner with him and take up the cause of hurting people, peace and justice, we find purpose that honors our Father. We each need to stuff, discuss and put together a personal life mission that matches your passion and talent. And I based it, Pam and I based it on such commitments such as my primary loyalty is to my Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm committed to fully invest my time, talents, and treasure into service for him. I'm committed to a healthy marriage till death do us part. I'm committed to supporting our daughter and helping her discover her exciting role in the kingdom. I'm committed to know God better through prayer and studying his word. I'm committed to trusting God in this season of my life. I'm committed to being a good friend to at least four men, my fire team. I'm committed to treating my body like it's God's temple. And I'm committed to sharing my rewirement adventure with other men that God places in front of me. My mission is evolving, no doubt. It's changing pretty rapidly, actually, but it looks like something like this. I aspire to use my God-given strengths, faith, knowledge, experience, network, and financial resources to help people, companies, and ministries achieve greatness and advance the kingdom of God. I and you can be part of someone else's miracle, someone's answer to prayer, whether it's in Guatemala or in Winter Garden. Someone's rescuer, someone's father, someone's only chance to learn about Jesus. So, as we wrap up, what does my rewirement look like? I ideally thought it was kind of a third, a third, a third, a third of my time in ministry, a third consulting, a third family, friends, and fun. And as I found that each one of those thirds involves ministry, which is an exciting thing. But specifically, my ministry, obviously, I'm deeply involved with Prince of Peace. And this is a ministry for those that you are aware of. It partners with God to help repair the lives of 50 to 60 little girls in Guatemala that have been in really, really, really hard places. Another thing that God has brought me into is a, is a ministry called Af Africa Windmill Project. And this is a locally inspired ministry um, from Winter Park that is bringing water and sustainable farming skills to destitute, destitute women and children in Malawi. And the fun part is both of these ministries I can deal with, with Pam. And I'm also excited to have some time to expand my ministry locally with things like Sleep and Heavenly Peace and some things on the east side of town. And by the way, if you want to get involved in any of these three ministries, see me after we're done here, and I'll be happy to help you understand how to plug in. So, but it, all these things are, are kind of evolving. I'm thinking that consulting, my consulting work, which I'm doing right now with batteries and private equity and a few other things, I think that's going to evolve more into board work. My ministry, I think, is going to expand from Prince of Peace and African Windmill Projects to speaking engagements on rewirement. 
I've already been asked to speak at NASA on rewirement. They don't know what they're getting into. <laughs> Remember my goal to think big, start small, and scale quickly. What would happen if I helped 50 to 100 men rewire for the next 20 years? What an impact that could be in the kingdom. So, my personal time, hopefully maybe I transition from fishing with one of my two Christian buddies, maybe to including men that are unchurched. And I constantly remember, need to remember the wisdom of St. Francis of Assisi. Always preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Bottom line is that I want to encourage men to make a difference in the lives of other men, and to the least of these until I die. So let me close with you in prayer. Lord Jesus, please give us the courage to live a life of meaning, a life that you have equipped us to do using the skills you've already placed in us. Help us live with excitement and passion, always remembering we know how our story ends, but we need to make sure others have that same blessing. Don't let us settle for anything less than joyful service of love to hurting people up to the time we stand before our Father and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And Enter the joy of your master. Amen. Amen.